0: Hello and welcome to Another Round with Play-Doh, the podcast that gives you an insight into fermentation. My name is Junidhar, and today we are back in Norway as I am talking to Marius Luktu from Marlobubu. This meadery delivers uncompromised meat of fantastic quality, making them the fifth highest rated producer on the popular beer app, Untapped. Please join me as we are heading to Sande in Vestfold, Norway, to talk to Marius. I would like to welcome to the podcast um, the official potato or CEO of Marlobu Marius Lokte. Uh, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Uh,
0: and we are situated here in um, in I won't call it the warehouse, but fermentation space, which is uh Marlo-Bubu. And and perhaps you could give me just a quick introduction to what is Marlbubu. Uh
1: Marlo-Bubu is uh midri. Uh, now finally located in uh, sande in westfall uh since our start in 2020 we have been uh, going from location to location (laughs) from (laughs) basement to basement (laughs) but now we finally have our home uh, where it all started in sunday uh, close to all the beekeepers and uh, fruits that we use in our uh, production of our meats yeah
0: because you are the, the first uh, meadery we have on the podcast, which makes me very happy. So for, for those of you who aren't um, uh, greatly familiar uh, to Norwegian topographic, so Sunday is about an hour from Oslo. Um, and uh, and Marlobubo is located in probably one of the, the best areas in uh, Norway for fruits and berries and and you name it and of course uh, with fruits and berries comes a lot of bees and uh, and then my question is was it always meant to be mead for you or did, did you start with something else before you got into this uh, this honey stuff
1: good question we were actually planning to start out as a contract brewery mm. uh, which we also actually do uh, under the brand name um, Molobobus uh, mega beer uh we just started that as a basically a a running joke Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, we were going to do some meats uh, on the side because there weren't really a lot of heavily fruited meats available in europe Mm. Um, so we wanted to do that Uh, but then you know it takes quite a while to get uh, permits and licenses and everything so from the initial plan to the to the start, uh, things had changed, uh, and we realized that uh, we really needed to start f- really, really needed to focus on uh, on the meat production and all the uh, fruit we have around us. Mm. Uh, it was we found it way funnier to uh, utilize everything we have uh, available to us instead of uh, focusing on beer. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, we love doing both though. Yep. So. We haven't really, we haven't really let the beer side go, either.
0: No, and 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 it's actually, it, it, to me, it seems like things have just um, increased in terms of complexity when you also add in the cider. Yeah. And then uh, you told me before we got started here that you also have a little bit of a dream to, to do a little bit of uh, spirits as well. So it's it's just getting more and more complex. But uh, let's just take the take the the main thing with Marla which is the mead. You are going away from sort of the old narrative of Vikings and mead and and whatnot, and have quite a, a modern take on both the products, but also the branding. So how, how did you go about finding your identity, so to speak?
1: Horvai, uh, uh the artist uh, we're working with, uh, he has a very distinct uh, painting style. So he paints all of our uh, labels. Mm and then like scan stems and uh, make labels out of them uh, we felt that having a visual aspect of our um, bottles uh, that could be uh, recognized uh, without like just seeing the bottle you could see that uh, marlo bobo had made it without yeah. even having marlo bobo on the front label yeah Um, We felt that was uh, a cool way to uh, distance ourselves from uh, what has typically been done in the product category before. Mm. Um, A bit like, uh, of course, also uh, inspired by uh, natural winemakers, and uh, that's kind of the way they have been distancing themselves from... uh, traditional uh, winemakers as well
0: mm, yeah with, with more creativity and being a little bit out there and all, quote unquote alternative yes. in their in their branding And I, to me as well just looking at, at the, the bottles and the cans and everything so for everyone that only listens to the podcast you can check out Marlo Bubo on Instagram you will immediately see what I mean when I see a, a premium product uh, and of course you need this as well uh, because meat is uh, an expensive product to make uh, wherever you are in the world because honey is uh, good honey is is expensive yeah. um, but when you do this only with uh, local ingredients as well it truly becomes uh, even more expensive because Norway is one of the more expensive countries in the world so why did you decide to go with Norwegian raw materials and you actually said to me before we got started on recording you have about a hundred and uh, so hundred-something products you made, but only a few that you have with any imported ingredients. So so why Norwegian? Is it because... Why?
1: It's kind of one of the reasons we started making meat, because we were a bit surprised. Uh, actually, uh, we were waiting uh, a couple of years before we uh, decided on starting. Just... Uh, we continued talking about... Uh, we couldn't really understand why no one in Norway uh, with all this good fruit available uh, didn't make uh, that no one started the meadery yeah. uh, making and utilizing all the available fruit and honey we have. Mm. Um, so actually we waited a couple of years just waiting for someone else to do it. Yeah. But <laughs> n- no one did. Uh, so then we decided on
0: I'm doing it, trying, yeah, and and you're not going a, an easy route. So, uh, making a making a beer, you can usually make the same beer um, ten times in a row, and you can have it taste fairly the same. Uh, the The process is pretty much the same, whatever beer you're doing. Maybe a little bit more dry hopping there, or uh, a little bit more of a stuck mash on a, on different kind of cereals. But with uh, the way you make mead. Uh, every single product is made a little bit different and some is made very different depending on what fruit you use. And, and from my understanding, you don't dilute the mead or the honey either. You're only using uh, 100% uh, honey and, and almost no water to, to dilute it. So how do you go about creating a new product uh, in the Bobo range?
1: It differs a bit, but uh, usually we make uh, like we work a bit like a winery. Uh, When the fruit season arrives, we make uh, what we call blending threads of uh, what fruit we want to work with and what we have available to us. Uh, That will differ every year. Uh, This year, it seems like we won't be able to get as much raspberry that we were planning to. Mm. We're planning to release a lot of different. raspberry meads but uh, we have had problems getting the raspberries we wanted Mm. so then we have to change that uh, plan Mm. so uh, in that regard we don't really make uh, big scheduled releases or plans before the season we see what's available to us we have like a sketch and uh, uh, depending on what we are able to get uh, we produce um produce uh, products or what we, yeah as I said, blend, uh, blending threads uh, of the fruits we are, uh, we are getting. Uh, the reason I'm saying blending threads is because we ferment all the fruits separately mm. uh, and all fruit varieties uh, separately, and then we blend them after fermentation depending on uh, on the products we want to release. Mm in that way you you almost have like a blank canvas but uh, a lot of different uh, colors and then you can uh, paint it uh when when you have tasted uh, what you end up with because every uh, especially where when we do spontaneous fermentations and everything uh, you never really know uh, you can be surprised for what you're getting
0: yeah (laughs) maybe not as planned but still something uh, great and unique that just needs uh, a little bit of different blend uh, definitely so, yeah. so where would you say your the the most of the work is if you look apart from cleaning, which is yeah. wh- whatever fermentation you're doing, that's always the thing that is going to take the most amount of time. But where do you use most amount of time? Is it in sourcing raw materials? Is it in the, the fermentation process, or is it in the blending uh, to to get sort of the, the, the perfect malabubu product?
1: That's uh, that's a hard question because we we use so much time on each of those steps. Uh, the pre-summer months and the summer months are really uh, really colored by uh, how much time we spend on uh, getting the fruit, planting the fruit and uh, in the end uh, harvesting, getting the fruit and processing it and starting the fermentation um, and um, afterwards like now we're doing this uh, in October and uh, uh, from this time on, we don't do that man, uh, many fermentations. So from this time on, uh, we will use a lot, time of, a lot of time on the blending side and uh, the packaging. Mm. The packaging uh, does also takes, uh, take a lot of time because we do an, everything manually. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we have like a forehead bottle filler,
0: mm. uh,
1: a gravity filler and uh, a semi-automatic corker and uh, then we uh, have a semi automatic labeler uh, and then you
0: wax and some then of we the... wax. yeah yeah but that is automatically uh, it...
1: my my grandfather does a lot of it <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so it's also semi automatically <laughs> <Yeah.
0: layer. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> so so a, a very a, a very time-consuming and expensive product to make, raw materials, uh, some of the best you can find, which you use a lot of time on. And um, and I think this is one of the things which uh, is really interesting to see in terms of fermentation when it comes to mead, is the, the fermentation process uh, you mentioned to me earlier was about uh, four to six weeks. You ferment fairly low, but it's a, it's a very, very vigorous and uh, and almost like an extreme fermentation because of the amount of sugar and and unlike with a beer you can uh, you have to add um nutrition throughout the fermentation process and yeah a lot of things can can go wrong i know that you use uh the play-doh in some instances uh and how is that helping you to to make the best sort of meat that you can
1: since uh our, um, the contents in our tanks are so expensive because of the raw materials, uh, which makes it really important to keep track of everything, uh, no room for mistakes. Uh, Plato, uh, the Plato pros has helped us a lot there uh, in regards that you're, instead of uh, going um, every day and uh, checking the gravity of each tank, we're able to monitor it and monitor it um, on um, uh, on an app and check it uh, wherever wherever we need wherever we are Um, and then we are able to uh, see uh, what is it called
0: Uh, yeah like the specification of of the liquid
1: yeah you can have full control of the temperature and the gravity uh in real time uh and uh if we see a difference in uh, how quick it's fermenting, like if it's slowing down or if it's speeding up. We can either uh, control it by nutrition uh, or we can control it by temperature change or uh, adding oxygen to mm. the tank. And uh, that is something we have always done, but uh, with the plateau, you can definitely, uh, we can definitely. Uh, f- Figure out if anything is wrong uh, a lot quicker mm. than if you are doing manual uh, sampling.
0: It it sounds like uh, a mistake is a little bit more expensive for a batch of mead than a batch of beer because a batch of beer you can quote unquote just make again and yeah. just throw it out, but if it's mead, uh, there might not be the fruits that you had. There might not be the mead, the the honey that you have sourced and just seems like the consequences is a little bit more grave for a meadery than a, than a brewery if um, if i'm understanding correctly
1: definitely i mean we also make uh, beers and let's say a heavily fruited kettle sour with the fruit puree that's 6 to 8 times cheaper in uh, raw materials uh, per liter compared to the meats we make yeah <laughs> so uh, you could like almost like uh, 150 liter tanks of mead is as expensive as a thousand-liter tanks of heavily produced
0: sour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a very different uh, uh, calculation. That that's for sure. Yeah, uh, some of the some of the things which uh, which you, you talked about a, a little bit uh, when we started up. But uh, you mentioned you having a, a beer lineup. You have a, a mead lineup, of course, which is the core, and then you also have the cider, and and, and you use. A lot of the same fruits that you use in the meat you uh, reuse for a second batch of cider or something how how do you go about uh, making sure you get the most amount of, of value out of each raw material when you work in that way?
1: We figured out uh, after our first year of production that uh, We felt like we were uh, wasting a lot of the fruit going out of the fruit fermentations of the meats. uh, Because we don't like to press the fruit. Uh, I mean, sometimes we do and often we do, but for many products we don't press them. We just free free run uh, the juice uh, through a sieve, which is inside the tank. And uh, left in the tank will be a lot of uh, fruit, uh, like macerated fruit. And uh, some juice, and uh, also uh, some honey, mm. which has stuck to the fruit and, and the juice. Um, we figured uh, that uh, making a fruited cider um, or other like bubbly fruited creations could be could be a cool thing mm. in terms of reusing the fruit. Um, so uh, the first, I think, the first thing we tried was just. Yeah, I think we we did a spontaneous we we do uh, a spontaneous cherry meat called Stansbury Free Jazz. And uh when we had the cherries left from that batch, we just poured over fresh uh apple like freshly pressed apple juice. Mm. And uh it continually continued to ferment since uh, you had so much of the spontaneous culture in there. Um And we weren't really we weren't happy with the result right away, but we bottled it nonetheless and just kept it in storage And after six months it was starting to taste really good. Uh, and then we just a lot of iterations after that Uh, Most of them we kept for ourselves and some of them were released to bars and Uh, small releases Mm. and then uh, we figured out that uh, we got the place that uh, we were happy with the results and uh, started releasing a couple of them Uh, until recently all of them have been bone-dry some have been fruited ciders and some uh, we have called uh, fruit pet nuts Uh, when we call something fruit pet nut we um, uh, we bottle it before the fermentation is over So uh, when we have a couple of gravity gravity points left, uh, we bottle it, and then it will just continue to ferment and uh, make carbonation in bottle Mm. from the yeah from Mm. the
0: and the residual sugars are yes
1: naturally and uh, and then you can also if it's. If you're coming there to bottle, uh, you have yeah, planned a bottling day, and uh, it's fermented slightly above uh, what you have planned. Uh, you could also just add a little bit of apple juice to to get the the, f- the final final gravity correct.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it it sounds like a, a very sustainable way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, both for the environment, you know, using the most amount of 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 the fruit as as possible, but it also makes a lot of sense economically yeah. because it's so uh, so expensive um, uh, a product and raw material that you have. Uh, but it also, I think, creates some challenges when it comes to a portfolio because then your portfolio... Uh, compared to a few of the other guests that I've had on the podcast before, which are breweries, which is they have their plan of the next year, maybe ready the before the year is starting in terms of what products is going to be launched and marketed and, and whatnot. Yeah. You just get, all right, so I couldn't get raspberries. What can we do instead of that? And uh, and and uh, yeah, like you said, maybe you get a, a, a bonus product because you're reusing some of the raw materials. Uh, how do you go about... Um, creating a portfolio and an identity when it's so fluid and, and and moves with well basically whatever is going to happen with the season
1: it's uh it's really hard we we, we usually have some some plans like uh, almost for the last couple of three years we haven't released just a few products we have released twice mm. everything has been else has been so far one-offs yeah it's not like, yeah, it's planned one-offs, but we wanna we always want to try different things, and uh, it's always something we wanna something new we wanna release and try. Um and then we have a couple of ones that we release every year. And this year we will also release some of the blends or products that we made the first year we uh, mm. started out. Uh, probably and hopefully better than we did the, the first year we started yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh, improved versions um but uh, with the same fruits and the same um same flavor profile mm. but uh the planning is hard because yeah we, we have a sketch um but it changes all the time, and a lot of it and a lot of the decisions at the moment just we know a couple of months ahead mm. what we are going to release yeah. or bottle.
0: And, and then just go with the flow.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's also hard in terms of uh, label cost. Is, uh, it's kind of uh, cheap to uh, to print a lot of labels at one time, but it's very expensive to just have small batches. Yeah. <laughs> So the label cost can also be quite high if we are not if we don't have a really good plan of what we are gonna release uh, mm. far ahead, yeah because then we can uh, order ten labels at a time instead of two.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah so but but the way you're presenting it and the way I'm interpreting and listening to, you know, it feels more like it's almost a little bit unfair to compare. Uh, mead or put them in the quote-unquote same range as beer because it's much more like wine. Yep. Uh, of course, in production uh, uh, as well, it's more of a mead wine than a mead beer, I guess. <laughs> uh, but but it also feels, uh, since you are so dependent on seasons and availability and, uh, and whatnot, you have a very different way of creating uh, products as well compared to a brewery. So then the question for me is, why did you want to have, because you continue to have beer even if you started with mead, so yeah. why do you continue to have the, the beer as part of the mead uh, as well?
1: They are so, they're so funny to make. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, also, I enjoy beer a lot. Um, you can, like for IPAs, for example, you can drink a lot more of them than the meats we typically make mm. in terms of quantity or... Uh, um yeah and uh, yeah, just uh, we still want to make beer and we still want to do a lot of we really love to do barrel aging mm. so we want to increase the barrel stock of beer in terms of uh, imperial stout barley wine strong ales everything and uh there as well just not especially have a set plan we we never um we never uh, make or fill 10 barrel th- uh, barrels thinking that will be one product. Uh-huh. We fill 10 barrels and that will be a blending stock for mm. future future products. Mm. So recently we filled uh, 8 barrels with barley wine same recipe in all of them but of the 8 barrels there were rum barrels bourbon barrels different brands uh, maple syrup barrels and uh and, yeah, two also uh, two of the barrels were bourbon barrels, but uh, we had the mead in them before. Mm. So you had the mead component there as well, which really is shining through. And then you have, there as well, you have blending threads. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, as uh, The more I think of it, uh, I think I'm also a bit in love with the, the process in terms yeah. of making recipes and making... Yeah, Blends, and uh, always tr- trying something new, so I can't really can't uh, let bear go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it makes it makes sense because it, it seems like you thoroughly enjoy creating well flavored fairly intense products when when you yeah. do it um and it was said uh, in the beginning of the recording that uh it's an, a norwegian way of saying that you do everything is that you're a, a potato yeah. you do everything but maybe uh, in the in the very end that you're a blender and then everything else comes as an addition to work to do the blending
1: in, in a way I, I mean that's the thing i enjoy the, mo- uh, enjoy the most uh I'm looking forward to when we are finished with most of the fermentation for this year, and I can just f- focus on the stock we have mm. and make products. Yeah. <laughs> that's the funniest part for me, definitely. yeah, but it's also but it's uh, it's hard because it's also very fun doing the fruit processing, doing the finding fruit, mm. tasting new fruit, uh, being surprised by how good some of the fruits are. And all the surprises that you can get uh, during the fermentation process, uh, and all the tweaks you can do during the fermentation as well. I think that is also as much fun for me than the blending is finding small tweaks you can do to uh, improve the fermentation. Mm. I can uh, I can read about that all day.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It it sounds like a an, an ongoing process and. Uh... Yeah. But by, by the by the things you're saying, it seems like it's an ongoing process that never is going to stop. No matter how much of a master blender you become, you always feel like there's something new and cool to uh, to explore and and create. Yeah. Um, going to to wrap things up here, um, but. I, I mean you are uh, making we're focusing a lot on on the mead here of mm. course We're mentioning you have a cider as well pet knots you have the beer as well uh but out of all of those things the, the one most quote-unquote mythical is the, the mead um and and i don't know what what is from you as a uh, as a, uh, a ceo of a meadery uh one of only four if i'm not mistaken in norway yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. So, uh, you're not a lot of of people doing the missionary uh, way of teaching people of the meat. What are some of the the things you you have learned throughout this um, journey you've had creating uh, exciting different products in a category almost unknown to your audience? What are some of your like key learnings?
1: I think that uh, one of the still the hardest things is that people think um, meat is a a type of beer Mm. it would be easier if people didn't have any connotations to meat like they didn't really uh, they knew nothing about it I think that would be easier uh, for a product category compared to uh, people thinking it's something else yeah (laughs) because you always have to try to explain that but uh, the thing is that uh, people are always. I, I find that most people, if they are, if they know what they are tasting, they are uh, extremely surprised by uh, what meat can actually be, mm. and uh, really floored by the complexity and the concentration of it. And. Um, I find it to be a bridge between um you have the craft beer people and you have the wine people wine people won't touch beer and a lot of beer people won't touch wine
0: unless unless like, it's natural wine with some funky bretonomyces or something yes <laughs> uh
1: but that's like the how it's generally is of course with uh exceptions yeah of course yeah. but
0: uh Let's put let's put those two categories uh, against each other. I like that. <laughs> yeah.
1: But uh craft beer people tend to love mead and have really embraced it. We wouldn't be uh, we wouldn't be able to make this without the craft beer community for for sure. So we're really appreciative uh, of that. Um uh and the wine people are always a bit more skeptical to trying uh, <laughs> I'm afraid of stepping on uh, someone's toes here, <laughs> uh, trying something else than wine. Um, but um, it's right up their alley. Uh, mm-hmm. They have embraced cider, and uh, I think they're about to start embracing uh, meat as well. Yeah. And I've uh, I've been rambling and f- forgot your uh, original question.
0: Just some of the the key learnings from from the journey you've had to creating uh, Malabubu. Yeah. Um. But but I think also you you haven't uh, we haven't talked about it but you are uh, um, I'm not sure if you are today but you have been the highest rated uh, Norwegian producer uh, on Untapped uh, which just goes to show that um, uh, the beer people have been very important for you but I th- I think looking at the variety of products that you create that um, you're sort of making several different bridges here uh, and not only catering to one audience, but also the side people, which is, is one category. And with the pet nut, of course, that's uh, the wine, the wine side of things. So um, do you think it's a strength for Malabubu to be so versatile in terms of the portfolio?
1: I think it is. I mean, in some ways uh, I think it can confuse people if they're not really into uh, craft beer and uh, uh, specific brand names and uh, everything. Uh, I think but I think it can be very good in terms of uh, reaching a wider audience. Uh, you're able to po- uh, pivot to one of the categories if something starts uh, interests starts dropping for some something. Mm uh and i feel we have a good foothold in all of them at least the bear side and uh, and the meats Mm. the cider is still new so uh yeah we'll see what's (laughs) what will happen there but um yeah i think it's a strength to uh, to be able to do so much different and it was uh, i mean we were it was uh, according to the initial plan in terms of that we wanted to be able to you never know what is going to happen we want to have our foot in more pies mm, yeah yeah <laughs> to,
0: so, so you just accepted there will be a little bit of a chaos but it's going to be a controlled chaos in in terms of what you're doing
1: yeah at least we're trying to yeah <laughs> <laughs> but controlled chaos uh, i think it's a very good uh, sentence for our uh, production <laughs> as well.
0: <laughs> I, I like that, uh, Marius. I'm not going to take uh, more of your time. I appreciate uh, you uh, uh, taking us into the world of uh, Marla Bubu, and uh, I look forward to uh, tasting the first spirits in the future when you when you get there as well and creating some uh, more uh, intriguing and complex blends for us. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming with me to Sande and for listening to my talk with Marius from Malabubu. It was inspiring to get a look behind the curtains of one of the highest rated producers in the world and to learn about the focus on locally sourced ingredients to make this happen. This time, we visited Norway, and next time, well, who knows? Because in this podcast, we're going all around the world of fermentation. So don't forget to subscribe to uh, join the journey. As always, sharing is caring. So do feel free to share this with a mead lover or a co-worker and uh, have some good discussion around one of the most uh, fun liquids out there, mead. Until next time, have fun, drink well, and take care.